Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Students from kindergarten to college are headed back to class this week. Schools and universities are taking steps to prevent the spread of coronavirus. But is it enough? The University of North Carolina and Notre Dame have suspended in-person classes due to COVID-19 outbreaks. So what are universities in Florida doing to prevent that from happening? And just a note, we recorded this episode Monday morning, and a few hours later, there was a major ruling that changed the state's order that K-12 schools must offer face-to-face instruction. And in order to provide you, the listener, with the most up-to-date information, I followed up with one of our guests, WUSF education reporter Carrie Sheridan, about what the ruling means. So, Carrie, a, a couple of uh, teachers unions had sued over the state's order to uh, provide face-to-face instruction at the start of the school year, and a judge ruled yesterday in favor of the unions. What does that ruling actually mean for the start of school and, and uh, students actually returning to classrooms? Well, it doesn't mean anything right now because the state Department of Education filed an appeal uh, late last night as well. So what that means is the appeal puts on hold any decision that the judge has made until the appeals process plays out. So this morning, Hillsborough County held a workshop and they discussed it briefly. Um, the lawyer for Hillsborough County said what this means is since the first district court of appeals now has the case, Lawyers for the Florida Education Association have two weeks to file their briefs in that appeals case. Um, Then, uh, depending on the outcome of that, it could even make its way to the Florida Supreme Court. So the timing of all this is really going to be the next big question. So while this legal process is playing out, the the school year goes on, uh, what what does it mean for, for students and for parents while this case plays out? Well, it means that whatever the local school board has decided has to go ahead. So, for example, in Hillsborough County, they're doing remote learning for the first week and then they reopen their doors for brick and mortar next week. That is all going to stay the same. Everything that's already been decided basically stays the same. And Hillsborough Superintendent of Schools Addison Davis said this morning that that's important to him because he wants parents to have some measure of knowledge that things will go ahead as planned. And it also um, prevents them from losing any money from the state if they were to divert from that plan. So for right now, it's uh, everything goes ahead. It's almost as if this decision didn't happen. And now let's get to the rest of the episode from Monday. Here with me via Zoom are Carrie Sheridan, who's WUSF's education reporter, Jay Wolfson, a University of South Florida public health professor, and Anna Lynn Winfrey a New College of Florida student and editor-in-chief of the student newspaper, The Catalyst. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Carrie, I'll start with you. Um, in terms of your reporting, uh, looking at K-12 schools, at school districts, at colleges, what have you learned about some of the, some of the steps and precautions that are being taken as, uh, as schools and universities uh, start their fall semesters? Well, there's been a big emphasis on things like separating desks, trying to keep students apart, social distancing, wearing masks, things like that, that were just kind of protective measures against the spread of coronavirus. Um, But the school boards have been hearing from medical experts that uh, really the atmosphere, the air in a room is just as important as some of these measures. And 
that's less clear that, that there are measures in place that can protect against this, the aerosol spread of coronavirus. So certainly schools are doing what they can, um, but it's not clear that they've, they're able to do everything that they can. Uh, beyond things like that, what are what are some of the other uh, preparations that have been going on leading up to the start of the fall semester? Well, I recently got um, some information from Sarasota County Schools, uh, which opens next week. They have a flow chart that they've put out about what kinds of situations would require a student to stay home. Um, and it's pretty interesting. I'm not sure that it's really been communicated to all parents yet. As a, as a parent of students in Sarasota County, I haven't heard this, but as a reporter, I have seen it. Um, and basically, it asks the students to stay home if they have a temperature of 100.4 or greater, if they have a sore throat, any kind of new cough or difficulty breathing, um, diarrhea, vomiting, or abdominal pain, or the new onset of a severe headache. So those are the symptoms that schools are asking students to stay home with, because the fact is we have no reliable test. We have no fast test for students um, who may have coronavirus. And that is the biggest danger, is that students or staff will come into a school building with it and possibly spread it. Yeah, I know you talked with a, a University of Florida researcher who said, you know, that's really kind of the sticking point is that we don't have rapid testing. And that's going to be a concern as more schools and universities reopen. And there's, there's possibly more risk for, uh, for the virus to spread. We've heard the term hygiene theater, uh, that some places are just taking a lot of steps to make it look as if they're doing something, which, you know, it's, it's admirable that they are trying. Certainly, we all want to try our best. But we have to be realistic about the facts. And the fact is, we have no fast turnaround test for coronavirus. So what we are doing is opening the schools for children and staff to go in. And we have no way of knowing um, in anything less than 48 to 72 hours on average if a person is positive for coronavirus. So that's why these sorts of symptom checks, um, symptom lists are important for parents to know that if your kid has a sore throat or if you're a college student and you have a sore throat, you should stay home because that's the only protection we have is trying to keep infected people home from school. Let's turn to colleges because uh, you, you did some reporting on Eckerd College in St. Petersburg. Um, they're doing some experimentation with, uh, with outdoor classes to kind of maximize social distancing. Can you kind of explain what, uh, what they're doing there? They had a pretty innovative idea um, where they, they actually mapped out the campus to see what kinds of spaces were available where students could camp out and a class could be held. So that included parking lots, um, picnic tables, even just shaded areas on a green under trees. Um, and they found that there were quite a, quite a number of places that they hadn't thought of before where they could hold classes outdoors. Of course, rain and hurricane season is gonna be a concern mostly through September and October, but they have an online reservation system where professors can look for a spot reserve that spot and then communicate to their students like bring a chair bring your laptop and we'll meet there unless it rains in which case we'll be remote. Anna Lynn I want to turn to you now you're a student at, uh, at a New College in Sarasota. Let's go back to the spring semester when uh, when the pandemic started. How did the remainder of, uh, of that semester play out for you? Well yeah it, as with everybody else the news struck us all by surprise and so but we also were expecting for things to be shifted remotely. So um, there were some minor hiccups in the technology with some professors 
figuring out how to use Zoom um, and stuff like that. But it, I would say it worked out pretty well. But for me, at least, it, it kind of started about two weeks after getting home. I really started feeling isolated and really missing my friends and all those spontaneous social interactions that um, I was used to around campus. So for the Catalyst, what we did is we just transitioned to web-only production um, because obviously nobody was on campus and nobody could read a, a printed paper, too. But yeah, it was abrupt, but expected. So you're back on campus now in Sarasota. What, is it, what does it look like? What steps are being taken? And also, what do your peers, what are they, are they nervous? Are they anxious about what's, that enough's being done to, to stop the spread of the virus? Um, I'm actually living at a house near campus, off campus, because I personally didn't feel, wouldn't have felt safe being on campus just because of all the other students around. They're expecting, um, or they, I think they have back now, already about 400 students, which is about half of the student body. Um, but they, everybody had to get a COVID test before coming to campus, but still that's only at a point in time. And then there was, of course, weeks or a couple of weeks before everybody got back that there was that window. And they're also doing a 10% random testing of the student body to see if there's any hot spots. But like you were saying earlier, there still isn't that rapid testing. So there's only so much we can do. And I mean, yeah, there are mask mandates anytime you leave your um, dorm. And of course, for the few in-person classes that are happening, everybody in those classes has to wear a mask. But um, I'd say people are a lot. Most of the people that I've talked to are are still a little wary and cautious um, about the spread of the virus. Uh, Jay Wolfson, I'll turn to you now. Um... What's what's the contingency plan? What what happens if if we start to see clusters and spread on on campuses here in Florida, as we've seen, and as I mentioned at the top of the show at UNC, at Purdue, at other places? What's the plan here in Florida if if that were to happen? I think the plan is to learn continuously from the experience of those who are ahead of us, like Chapel Hill and and other universities. Uh, Dr. Donna Peterson is leading our campus-wide effort to coordinate across all of our colleges, all of our divisions uh, in, in both the classroom sessions and on the virtual side. And I think the bottom line of this is, Bradley, that we have to continue to monitor very carefully until we do get rapid tests, and it, we, we might get them by late fall in quantities, we have to watch for those hotspots. So if we begin to see groups of students in some place displaying those symptoms, we rush in, we cloister it, we contain it, we do the case tracing, we make sure their families are protected, and we're going to learn as we go with this, which is part of what we've had to do with COVID, and every day what we learn is how much we don't know. And I should also mention for USF as well, some of the steps that Anna Lynn uh, mentioned at New College, those are also in effect at USF. Uh, yeah. Random testing, there's uh, for, for everybody, students, employees, faculty, there's a little checklist that you have to fill out every day if you, every day. you're feeling sick and there's a pass that you're supposed to with a QR code and case campus police, uh, I guess, guess have any questions as well. And as you said, we've kind of had to, the, the public health response for this, we just kind of had to develop it as we go, as, as we learn more uh, about this virus. Yeah, and that's good news and bad news, um, because the, the quality of the data are based on our ability to test, process those tests quickly, uh, and then use those data to, to get into uh, a, a risky environment. And then the other part of it is policing it, Bradley. I mean, any campus, even, even a, sm a small, small campus like New College, 
you, ha you have to be able to police it. So if somebody walks into a classroom and they're not wearing a mask and the professor says, excuse me, but you need to wear the mask. And the student says, I don't want to wear a mask or my parents told me I don't have to wear a mask. Uh, we've already got protocols in place how to, how to address that. But these are, are challenging issues for our faculty members and for other students uh, that we're going to work through. We're going to learn again as we go. We expect that we will see those circumstances. Uh, Anna Lynn, how do your, uh, your classmates and your peers feel about uh, wearing masks? Well, really all of my friends are, um, feel fine about it. I mean, it's, it's a small inconvenience for yourself in that it's a minorly uncomfortable around your mouth and nose area. But um, I feel like most people know that it's just a small step that each of us has to do in order to protect everybody else, right? Because um, without rapid testing, public mask wearing is um, one of the best ways to contain the spread of the virus and make sure that everybody's okay. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. We're talking about students returning to uh, class at schools and universities in the Tampa Bay region. And we're talking with my WUSF colleague, Carrie Sheridan, also uh, Jay Wolfson, a public health professor at the University of South Florida, and Anna Lynn Winfrey, who is uh, editor of the student newspaper at New College of Florida. We're gonna take a short break here and we'll resume our conversation in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. We're talking about returning to class in the middle of a pandemic with Carrie Sheridan from WUSF, Jay Wolfson, a public health professor at the University of South Florida, and New College of Florida student Anna Lynn Winfrey. Jay, can, can school districts and universities uh, be held liable for uh, COVID outbreaks on campus? Can any legal action uh, be taken? We're seeing some of that uh, happen right now in, in North Carolina with UNC students. Yeah, I expect that we will see some of that. The standards about this have not been developed. Generally, uh, it would be considered a work-related or an environmentally related injury. We saw a lot of this after 9-11, where firefighters and police officers experienced trauma and illness and disease after their exposure. And it took years before the federal government and the local governments were able to respond because initially those claims were denied for workers' compensation. We're actually seeing the same thing in local fire departments and police departments throughout Florida where those exposure claims are being denied. So the challenge I think is for um, the, the, the government and the Senate of the United States is trying to put in place a new set of laws that would increase the standard to raise the bar so that uh, an injured party would have to show gross negligence or intentional misconduct in order to be potentially liable. And that they would also increase the bar by showing that uh, they have to have clear and convincing evidence, which is like you know, 70 or 80% as opposed to a preponderance of the evidence, which is a legal standard of just over 50%. There are a lot of teachers, a lot of parents, and a lot of students who are expressing concern about changing the standard. At the same time, universities and, and, and school districts have to be able to demonstrate, I think, to the public as a matter of public trust, that they're doing everything they can to act reasonably, rationally, and responsibly. And if they do that, 
and there are set guidelines that we can all agree on, then the, the likelihood of a successful lawsuit will be diminished. But my, my legal colleagues, especially those who appear on the sides of buses and on large poster boards and on every page in the yellow pages, you know, this is, this is part of the business tactic for a lot of attorneys. They will go after cases that give them some publicity. And this is certainly going to attract some of those. So the best thing that the universities and the school systems can do is document everything they do, follow guidelines and standards that are developed by their associations or by their local legislative bodies, and act reasonably and responsibly. The same way we expect our students and our faculty to do. Carrie, you've been watching a lot of the local school boards as they, as they talk about reopening plans and talk about some of the issues. What have been some of the concerns among school board members, school administrators about reopening school right now? Right. Well, Hillsborough County had uh, brought a, a panel of medical experts in front of them to speak about some of the real indicators that they need to be looking at in the community, the metrics, and what, what does a safe reopening really mean. And what they heard was, um, it depends a lot on the level of virus in the community. So if you have a high level of transmission, that's always going to be a concern. Um, we do know that our, our numbers in Florida are trending downward but there's still a lot of question about whether they're low enough and what if we can do enough to keep them low. Um, but at these school board meetings also, there's been public comment where we have quite a number of parents um, who are very vocal about the choice that they want to be able to make to send their children back to school. They believe it's a choice that they should be allowed to exercise. So you have these concerns about health and safety versus parental choice. We also have the argument that, uh, you know, students need to be in school. There are a number of reasons why it's a danger to children when they're not in school. So there's a lot to balance out there. And uh, it was very interesting in Hillsborough County. Um, at one point, board member Tamara Schamberger asked the whole panel, is it safe to reopen right now? Would you say yes or no? And the whole panel said no except for Douglas Holt, who's the health department officer, and he said he didn't believe it was his role to provide that kind of advice. Anna Lynn, I, I want to pick your journalist brain a, a little bit. Uh, I'm curious to know what sort of stories have you reported already about how New, New College has handled the, the virus response? Oh yeah, so there was a big deal at the start of it when all students had to leave campus, and everybody was really confused because initially there was a petitioning period where you could go back to, where we where you could ask to stay on campus and 100 to 200 people applied for that and so then they realized wait a second we can't let everybody stay on campus who asked to so and there was a kind of a big deal because then it was how how did they narrow down who could stay on campus versus who couldn't and that criteria was a little bit unclear for a time um so that was a little bit of an issue at the very beginning of stuff of the pandemic back in march and um it was um, also the, there were a couple issues with switching over to online learning too, but I would say for the most part, it was, we all just kind of understood how this crisis was, we all just had to do our small part and go home. And it was really frustrating at the beginning, but um, as soon as that shock value kind of faded and everything kind of sunk in, it was kind of just like, okay, well, this is out of our control and all we can do is just really keep at it and um, keep zooming. So now that, uh, that the semester's resumed again and you're back in Sarasota, what, 
what stories are you interested in pursuing now about um, about how New College is handling uh, coronavirus? I'm really curious to see if um, if there's any students who test positive, and I'd I'd love to talk with them and get their experiences about what it's been like um, being in having to go into mandatory quarantine. They've set aside dorms for that, so I'm I'm curious what that will be like for students who eventually test positive, and I'm also very curious as to how. Um, the school will respond to that too. What like I'm I'm still I still don't know when what the threshold is right. Like how many cases will need will we need to hit before students are have to evacuate the dorms again? How many cases before all classes are resumed um, remotely? So just what's going to happen next and how the new college administration is going to respond is I'm really curious about that and individual student experiences with that as well. How important is it to have student media right now? Because you've got, you know, you've got the university and they have official statements and things, but what's kind of you, what do you see your role and your publication's role is at, 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 in this time? I think it's really important for us to cover all sides of the story as usual, you know, because the college puts out all of its PR and all that. Um, and of course we use that too as informational sources, but of course they can, they can decide what to include in their stories versus what not to include in their stories based off of whether it'll make the college look good or not. And um, it's not like I want to make the college look bad. I just want to make sure that the entire story is told. Um, Carrie, you talked a little bit about some of the feedback that parents had in some of these school board meetings. What are some of the other questions, concerns that have come up for you and your reporting as you've, as you've talked to folks um, about the virus, about reopening schools right now? Yeah, a lot of parents really just don't know what this is going to look like. Uh, they don't know how many students will be in their child's class if, they, if they've elected to send their child back into a classroom. They don't know how, uh, if they've decided to stay remote, how is a kindergartner or first grader going to stay in front of a screen all day? And for working parents, working mothers and fathers, how are they going to work and lead their children through school all day? These are huge questions that we're really right up against the day of going back to school, and we have no idea how these are going to play out. Another huge question is really what is going to happen when there are cases on campus? Um, when will they close? We've heard uh, the governor um, talk about how he wants to take a more surgical approach, he's calling it, if there's a, an exposure in a classroom to only quarantine those who are really within six feet of that person for more than 15 minutes. But I think anyone who's really been in a school knows that those kinds of decisions are incredibly hard to come across uh, scientifically. Uh, children are mingling all the time, masks on, masks off, whether they're supposed to be on all the time or not. So um, there are a lot of concerns about who should quarantine for how long and how are we going to manage this opening and closing of schools, whether it's the school that opens and closes or the individual child has to stay home for two weeks and maybe go back after two weeks. Jay, what are, what are some of your concerns or the concerns of your faculty colleagues at USF about, uh, about restarting? Many of them are the same, and, and that is how they will address violations of the rules, um, how the system will address an outbreak on campus and being able to trace it back and determine at what point they will either isolate a classroom or close the entire place down and how much information is being routinely shared with everybody. Uh, transparency is 
vitally important in this process. And that means that uh, the university uh, has to be able to, to broadcast information effectively uh, through our radio stations, through our newspapers, uh, and, and also through the local newspapers and radio stations and television stations. Uh, so that people know what they, they they feel that they're being told the truth. That's been a tremendous issue for much of the public throughout these last seven or eight months of COVID, because of the quality of the data and the questions about what's true. So I, I think if if we ensure that as much information is shared as quickly as possible, then those of us who are in positions of making policy decisions can make them in the most informed way, and the people who are affected by it we'll know that we're doing our best. Everybody realizes that we're still kind of flying blind here and we're gonna learn as we go. Um, the governor can say that he wants to have, have a dimmer switch instead of a, a, an on off switch I think is fair, um, but I think we all have to be prepared in the worst case scenario to do what UNC did. But then how long do we do that? Do we say we're gonna close classes down throughout the entire semester? Yale at the beginning of this entire thing in March said we're not starting classes again until May of 2021 which is a, a huge leap forward. So again, it's, it's the responsible, respectable decisions, being conscious of what we're doing, who we're affecting, sharing that information, and learning as we go, Bradley. This is, this is still something we just don't know a lot about. Flu season's coming up, hurricane season is here. There's a lot of balls in the air here, and it's gonna be very challenging for policymakers, for police officers, for firefighters, for administrators of the institutions at the secondary level, at the education, at the university level, and at the primary level to figure out how they can best manage the essential role of teaching students, protecting faculty, and providing parents with the assurances they need to either go back to work or to decide to take their kids and teach them at home. Annalyn, what do your uh, classes look right look like right now? Are they mostly remote? Are you going to campus at all? Is it a hybrid? What What's the deal? Yeah, so I'm taking four classes this fall, um, and three of them are going to be fully remote because the professor has chosen to stay at home and not go on campus. And then one of them is it's an, it's a hybrid class, so the teacher or the professor will be holding in-person sessions on campus, but um, I'm opting to continue to play, take the class remotely just because I, even when people are, everybody's wearing masks, I still don't quite want to return to campus in that in a full capacity yet. I might change my mind later, but I, I, I don't think I will. How important, how, how much of a difference does it make for you to be back on campus versus doing this all from your, from your parents' home in Colorado? Well, funny that you asked that because, yeah, like what I was missing was was being around people. So I'm in a in an off-campus house with three other people, and it's just nice to be living with people my age again. I mean, I love my family, I love my sister, but um, it's just nice to to be living with people my own age again. Um, and also, our campus is beautiful, and um, I'm looking forward to going on some masked walks and staying clear from others um, as I go down to the bay for a sunset. But yeah, like it's it's different to be in an actual environment um, instead of doing a whole other semester at my dining room table. That is Anna Lynn Winfrey, a uh, student at New College of Florida and uh, editor of uh, New College's student newspaper. We also heard from Jay Wolfson, a University of South Florida public health professor and uh, WUSF education reporter, Carrie Sheridan. Thanks to all of you for joining us today. Thank you. Good to be here.
Today's show was produced by Denora Prevos. And if you missed part of the conversation or want to listen again, you can find it at WUSFnews.org. I'm Bradley George. Thank you for listening to Florida Matters. And I hope you'll join us again next week.